Hey, security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter. And this month, for the month of October, we are demystifying cybersecurity careers. So I have an amazing guest with us today, J.R. Reichert. Say hi to everybody, J.R. Hi, everybody. So J.R. has an an amazing background. She came from tech support for for an operating room. So she was doing tech support for medical operating room where people are getting operated on and then transitions her career into where she is today. So super excited to have you here, JR. Jump in. I'm like, I'm, I'm itching to find out more about how, what made you even think about security? What were you doing before? We typically don't have people on here from the medical industry that have been in the role that you were in. So definitely want to know more about like how you, how you even started doing that. And then what made you transition over into security? Well, first of all, Renee, thank you for inviting me on your show. Uh, that's a big honor. I appreciate it very much. Oh, happy to have you here. Um, and it's a real honor to be able to share my story um, to all of your listeners and uh, especially for members that are listening that want to break into the industry. It's very important. So how did I get here? It's a really wild ride and it's a really exciting ride. Um, I actually uh, started school wanting to um, do sports med. I wanted to work in the NFL. And I learned pretty quick that and that's really not my game. And I, I graduated um, in in psych, and I came into the working world, and I started working in mental health. And that's a really important industry, um, but it's a really tough one. And I uh, accepted. Well, I applied for this job, and it was um, this like this tech support position and it you know no experience needed we'll train you and um it was literally uh at the forefront of innovation for um what they call computer assisted surgery and it was uh just working with uh, systems that you would take um you know radiographic images and you would uh, import them into um, computer systems, and you would make 3D models of uh, a, a patient's brain and or their sinuses, and you would work with a surgeon, and you would uh, map out their surgical plans, and you would just be there in the operating room, and you would help uh, just move the model around, or you would help just read back the um, trajectory plan. You wouldn't make any diagnostic decisions. You would just read back the 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 computer system trajectories back to them so they could make the diagnostic decision. I did that for a few years. I moved to another healthcare system that they had needs beyond just uh, that sort of technology. They needed more hands-on that really was more of a shadow IT, more of a shadow biomedical need. And that uh, was the best 10 years of my life. Um, I got to work with all different types of uh, surgical specialties. I got to see really incredible stuff. And I got to work arm in arm with 
the most amazing professionals in my life. When I have uh, given talks, I always tell people that um, the, I was raised by, you know, sort of those early uh, caregivers, right? That when they graduated high school, they had those three choices. Um, they could be a secretary, a housewife, a nurse, or, or a school teacher. That that's the I was going to add in teacher. Yeah, that that was the decisions that they had to make, and they groomed me in a lot of ways to uh, look out for everybody around you. And it wasn't just you know coming in and and making sure that the equipment worked because that was also critical. Um, but it was about knowing that that equipment in that space in that moment was so uh, important for that human because that human in that room was the most important person, nobody else. Um, and knowing that 30 seconds is critical. It's so powerful. It's very powerful. And um, that's those were the values I was groomed with. Yeah. So over time, there isn't really uh, a way you can grow. And uh, pardon me, I'm just going to mute for a minute so I can cough. Yeah. So while you're doing that, I will bring in um, some comments here. We always have fun comments from our viewers. So Claudia says, good morning, Renee and JR. Morning, Claudia. Great to see you here. Patrick says, hey, everyone. And then he also wants to know, did coronavirus play a factor? Um, but you were way, you were in the industry years ago. So Yeah, I actually will talk about that um, just as a kind of side remark. But um, but when I moved into corporate IT, um, I actually started as an engineer uh, working with radiographic systems and vendor neutral archive. I think people are familiar with the term PACS. Uh, but when I was there in that role, I was working with the senior security engineer um, to remediate a, a, an issue. And she was very, very good. She was she had a massive background in digital forensics. And her and I spoke and she learned about my background. And she said, you know, we could teach you the cyber stuff all day. Your, your background is valuable. Right. And um, they happen to have a position open and I applied and the CISO at the time um, was forward vision enough to see mm -hmm. that experience and talent can be uh, modeled and, and supported. And I uh, was offered the position. I, I was I started very early with um, you, you know triaging, learning to read header information, the metadata um, for every cyber event often comes with you know a spear phishing, right? A phishing campaign. Mm -hmm. And that's where I started. I worked a lot with that senior engineer, and she really trained me to think about, you know, from the terms of a uh, adversary. And that's really what catapulted my career. 
sounds like an awesome woman, that senior security engineer, because look at where you are today. So, um, wow. I, I told JR, it's funny, folks. I told her that I wanted to hear, just like you're hearing it for the first time, I wanted to hear these stories for the first time. And I am sitting here with my mouth dropped open because of it just fascinates me that you were, you know, I, I say that one of the one of the things that I say to people all the time is, you know, somebody's life is not on the line. Like when people are freaking out and um, sometimes I tend to be the calm person. Like, okay, nobody's dying. You know, you were in the room where literally like to your point, 30 seconds is life or death and you're really sitting there. And so talk about pressure, talk about, um, um, you know, the type of demeanor you have to have to be able to work under pressure in that kind of a situation. Um, and it's just totally fascinating to me. Um, there's a point made here. Uh, Matt Christensen says, good morning. Love when we get clinical experience shifts to cybersecurity. So you're probably like the calmest person in your <laughs> in your group because you see the real, I mean, you see life or death. And then it comes over here, which, you know, a lot of military folks that transition into security is kind of the same type of scenario, I would think, or similar um, where, you know, lives are on the line, right? That's always like completely different than any other monetary situations or, you know, data breaches and things like that from a different type of, um, from a, you know, a different type of perspective. So um, I want to be really clear, Renee, that um, physicians and nurses are always going to be very good about their downtime procedures, right? Um, they know how to do what they do. Um, without needing, um, uh, without having to be 100% reliant on a, uh, a piece of equipment. So that's their job. And, uh, but when we come in the world of electronic medical records and everything interfacing with one another, um, when the new generation of uh, medical professionals, that can be really tough, right? And um, the systems will still collect the data, but when things get, uh, you know, when you start focusing on the equipment, you, you, it tends to get a little uh, difficult to focus on the patient. And that's where uh, roles like mine were so critical. Um, and that's where uh, to try to press about um, the importance of time. When you are a liaison to a corporate IT department that's no you can't come tomorrow right um that's where departments um are that have critical work um can you be calm yeah uh can it be stressful oh yeah <laughs> and that's where um those those departments will always have a piece of my heart um because they are type a's and um there is no room for um beating around the bush and um, you can uh, say what you need to say and mean what you say. And um, if it doesn't feel good, you can circle back later. <laughs> so right. um, yeah, it's, I, I, um, I learned a lot about life during that time. Um, also there's no, um, you, those sorts of spaces um, really, uh, I think groomed me to not hold back. You know, when you start to 
And this is where my brain goes, right, for mindset and cognitive bias when it comes to looking at data. Um, one of the pieces of bias comes to that motivational bias of why somebody would um, hold back on um, information or not disclose all the data. Um, I, because of my past experience, I don't. Um, I look at all of the information. I look at all of the uh, intelligence, as it were. And if I think that something needs to be brought forward because it's relevant, I will. Um, not that, um, you, you know, try to avoid the anchoring, trying to, uh, all of that. Um, but it's those past life experiences that brought me uh, forward there. Right. I can I can only imagine. Matt Christensen says, boom, JR, spot on. <laughs> spot on. Especially when, right when you were talking about the... Uh, not holding back. That's when he made that comment. So Reginald says good morning. Good morning, Reginald. And Cedric says good morning. Hi, everybody. So JR, you made a couple good points. One in particular about um, how you were with the senior security engineer. You had this, you had your engineering background. Um, you're both in the in that medical. You're both in the hospital at this point, right? You had transitioned into the engineering role. And she says to you, um, we can teach all this stuff. You know, the skills and the background that you already have are so important. And we can teach cyber. So I, wa I want to just, just highlight that aspect because, you know, a lot of times people in the industry or people outside of the industry, they think that it's, you know, you got to be a genius which I know many of you are, but, <laughs> you know, you have to be a guru, you have to be a genius, you have to be all these things. And JR was coming from this other background in the, um, as a tech, as a um, technical support in the operating room, sent, transitioned over to an engineering role within the hospital and met with the security engineer and they start partnering and working together and security engineers like, oh, I can teach you this. So, you know, you didn't have to go back to school for eight years. You didn't have to do all these various things. Now, I know there was continuous learning happening, but, you know, on the job training and really understanding what's going on. So I just want to reiterate that point. Right. The other piece is different um, industries have different access to uh, financial resources. And when certain industries tend to have less um, you have to make the best of your uh, situation, right? Um, I'm not good with scripting. Um, I have to, I've taught myself um, in Code Academy. Uh, there's free opportunities there um, throughout the you know year or every year. Um, you'll see little um courses or little coupons that'll come up you can take advantage of um, but my brain uh, is just not one that uh, I can write scripts I can you know hack a script <laughs> you know and I can see what I'll do but I'm not one to be able to you know bang out a PowerShell by myself um, but the, to your point Renee is that I can I had to teach myself a lot of things too to try to work around lack of uh, resources, right? And if there were uh, advantages for grants, 
um, try to take advantage of that as well. And in fact, um, a state grant is how I got my certified ethical hacker uh, certification. So you're spot on. And do you think that having a go-getter attitude and kind of like independence and just being self a self-starter is a huge component of what makes a, a successful security analyst or security professional? I think so. Um, I think you have to be hungry. I think you have to be hungry in any job or any industry, right? Um, to especially a, a, such a big move. Um, you know, my experience has been, especially in, in this industry, and then to pivot from incident response into uh, threat intelligence and then threat hunting and then OSINT um, has been uh, really just an act of my curiosity and my hunger and uh, just uh, finding myself in different situations where I had uh, an enthusiasm and a curiosity and uh, an eagerness to learn. And that's how I ended up in all those spaces. So absolutely agree. One thing that um, I always, my favorite story to tell was my aha moment of uh, the, the true nature of oh wow this is truly the space of and the heaviness of the space that i'm in when i was still you know a baby analyst and was going through um uh, we had a you know another phishing attack and i was going through the headers and i was so proud of myself because my mentor was teaching me things and i was uh i went through all the metadata i tracked that down I even went through and I drilled down the, the landing link and I figured it all out. And um, I went running to my mentor and I said, because I was so excited, I likely was talking super fast. <laughs> and I, I said, this is what happened. And I gave her all the information and she took her glasses off and she's listening and she's nodding. So. I, I knew from her body language that she was agreeing and she was absorbing the information. And I said, okay, I drilled it down. The IP address is pointing to Netherlands and, and I'm mapping it all out. And I said, what next? What do we do next? And she says, well done. <laughs> what do you propose we do? Should we just hop on a plane? find the guy wearing his dirty t-shirt, hanging out in his mom's basement and we roll up a newspaper and pop the guy on the head. And that's when it really sunk into me that, okay, this is a thing. This is a real, this is the adversarial space. This is it. All I know is that this is who did it and there's nothing more I can do. Right. Um, and that was my first introduction. Powerful. Yeah. I it's thought it was powerful. a funny story too. Like the whole yeah. like, like visual of rolling up the newspaper. Stop it. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's not that easy, right? Right, right. No, I think that's, that's an awesome story to tell. Um, 
because it it goes to show like, you know, you do you you're like, I did it, you know, and then it's like, what do we do next? <laughs> um, so, no, this is a really, really, really awesome story. Um, I want you to take us through what, what you said uh, earlier is all the pivots that you made. So I want you to walk us through um, each one. And for the folks, again, this this particular podcast series for this month are for people who don't necessarily know what each individual kind of role means. So if at a high level, you could just give them a little glimpse into what it means to go from, you know, engineered into your first role and into the subsequent ones right afterwards. And right before that, um, Patrick says, feel team go. <laughs> let's roll. Like, let's, let's roll. <laughs> Got it. Now like what? It. What do we do now? What do we do now? Oh, Operation so, roll-up newspaper. Go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so tell us about that. To walk us through like the past, the, the pivots. Sure. So engineering, um, I think a better way to describe it is more uh, development operations. Uh, truly, it's just uh, somebody uh, that just manages the back end of a uh, user interface system. And that was the role that I had taken. When I moved into um, the security space, I was an analyst. And my job was to just uh, look at the data and uh, work with business partners and other departments and other engineers uh, to uh, help with compliance of policy and uh, manage incidents as they occurred. When I talk about pivoting into threat intelligence, that uh, happened during the pandemic. And so that was more with looking at um, the, the data that was happening in real time at DNS domain um, registrations uh, was like typo squatting and um, uh, those types of information looking at uh, the uh, events that were being blocked in uh, email security appliances, uh, trying to find trending there, um, gathering information that would be actionable and knowledgeable for executive decision makers, writing threat reports that would have uh, either knowledge to make a decision for decision makers or uh, as a FYI for uh, future state um, to be uh, to raise an extra level of vigilance. I uh, was more in, I suppose, the counter threat intelligence space. Um, I also, during the pandemic, was recruited to uh, uh, into the CTI League. And that was uh, specifically for healthcare uh, specific members. And I came there hoping for um, access to help. <laughs> and with my skill set, um, it turned into uh, that I could help them. And so part of it was my OSINT um, skill set. So OSINT stands for Open Source Intelligence. 
That means access to any type of information that is uh, publicly available and not classified by any sort of uh, law enforcement, either on the uh, state municipal level or the federal level. So um, that can be anything from, you know, Google reverse image searching to Google dorking um, uh, and, and so forth. Anything you can grab from uh, Google Maps, Facebook, social media, uh, and so forth. And uh, from there, I was able to partner with some really incredible teams and uh, learn um, a lot about uh, cybercrime and uh, other efforts with that. Now, what was really, uh, when I came to the table with that skill set, it's not that I was just like, you know, for the matrix, bing, now I know OSINT. Um, what actually was my curiosity started in uh, makeup on YouTube and I would watch these, you know, makeup channels. Well, when you watch makeup channels, what always would come up is uh, commentary channels and commentary channels would, you know, uh, show um, different information or what they would call spilling the tea. And they would uh, show all these different um, like court information and, and corporate registration and but they, in essence, were doing their own form of OSINT investigation work. And I thought it was interesting when I would try to retrace their work because I thought how interesting that was to investigate is when I realized how easy it was to access this information. And then I started to fall into these blocks and that's how I learned about OSINT. And um, I made a couple of friends. And I, from there, um, learned about an organization called Trace Labs. And they uh, are a nonprofit organization that are dedicated to helping law enforcement um, around the globe that uh, look for missing persons and somebody uh, suggested that I help um, with uh, a Capture the Flag event. They have many of them. And uh, I said, sure. And that's how um, I pivoted from there. And that's where my OSINT techniques um, improved. And I got a taste of it and it was amazing. And my hunger and my curiosity pivoted and um, that's how I got there. So that was pre-CTI League. And then coming into CTI League, having those skill sets, um, becoming, uh, having the chance to work with, you know, these incredible groups and to be able to contribute my skills to uh, efforts that they were already doing and knowing that it was helpful and purposeful um, to track down malicious actors that were trying to either exploit the pandemic for uh, monetary reasons or uh, right. malicious, you know, and those sorts of things um, was really cool. Sounds like it. Sounds mm -hmm. amazing. So Kathy here says she's aiming to go from physio to cyber too. So might have a mentee. Men <laughs> Let's start a tribe. Let's, let's all get together. Right, right. Patrick, 
Patrick can come too. I like Patrick. <laughs> Patrick, you're in here. Team <laughs> go. <laughs> but that's what happens on this show. What's so cool about what I love about being about hosting this show and meeting all you amazing people is that um, people have gotten opera job opportunities. People have gotten you know connected with with folks and started um, you know groups and programs and everything else. So. Everyone here and Jr. know you. You're one of them because look at the person that took you under, took somebody took you under their, um, you know, under their wings, and and you said you were pretty much raised to do it, right? To bring up the the next generation, the next the next batch of people, um, and having folks that are coming from this type of background, which I had talked to a couple folks in um, in uh, on LinkedIn, not a lot but a handful behind the scenes that said they were making a transition. They weren't doing it yet. Um, but I believe you're the first one who actually was in, um, you know, that medical technical role that transitioned over. So we are coming up on the 30 minute mark. Um, and I want to just ask you if there are any final points that you would want to give, especially this people who, are maybe in your shoes, they may be in other parts of, you know, the medical field um, that want to break into the industry. Uh, what would you, what would, what would be your final pieces of advice? Um, I think one real piece is that I'm, I'm putting a very clean gloss <laughs> over my experiences, right? Um, I've worked really, really hard. I didn't go through a traditional um, degree. I didn't go to a traditional master's program. Um, I've had to work really hard. And um, that's the one piece that I want to um, press is that um, this is a lot of work and a lot of time. And um, it, it's a lot of dedication. So um, just if you go my track, it's, it's, it's a lot of work and um, it, it takes a, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of hunger. I keep using that phrase. Yeah. And that's uh, what Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just, you know, wanting to press that is I don't want this to, you know, sound, you know, cushy and easy. Um, is that's that's the one takeaway that I I, I want to make really clear. Yeah, and Belwoop says good morning. Very good advice given. That it's not it's not um. It is when you I feel like when you get on a path, um, and you get in front of the right, you get in the right groups, um, and obviously you're working hard and you're self directed. That's why I asked about that self directed aspect because I think that. It, it seems as though that's a theme coming up, you know, on the one on what leaders typically tend to say is they talk about curiosity, which you brought up a ton. Um, they talk about passion. And I know with passion, they mean the curiosity, like you're digging and digging and digging. You want you want to figure out like to your point, what do we do now? Like I did this. <laughs> what now? Um, so having that type of for lack of better words, dog with a bone mentality, like I am going to, you know, take this to wherever it needs to go. 
type of a scenario and having that kind of instinct and wanting to dig and wanting to dig deeper and find out more and find out the truth. Um, those types of skills and that type of, um, uh, you know, that type of intuition and background is something that is totally needed. Um, and I'm getting some comments here. Can we connect with JR? Of course you can. <laughs> JR? <laughs> Patrick's, Patrick, hello. Like, we're going to be friends for life. Just field team go. Can we like button up this whole like episode with hashtag field team go? <laughs> field team go. That's totally it. Patrick and you, I see, I already see this energy. You guys both are going to be back on the show a year from six months from now. I'm talking about, oh, Patrick and I, this is what we're working on. I see it happening. Um, I like it. Lincoln says, yep, not a bed of roses here. You need to, you need drive for self-development. I think that's so key. That self-development piece um, is an area of, you know, I do a lot of, I listen to a lot of entrepreneurship um, type, you know, blogs and blogs and that, and they talk about that self-directed and the, you know, self-development and continuous learning and all of those things and just curiosity and just trying to figure out what um the truth like you're trying to fill out you know figure out the answers because there's a lot there's a lot of misinformation out here right and so trying to really truly understand and you can go down a rabbit hole i do it often <laughs> like i see one thing like this doesn't make any sense let me dig in here or google this or try to find that and where's the source to this so um definitely uh really really awesome advice so uh, the, the other piece of advice that I have is, um, especially with cybersecurity, um, look into your local InfraGuard uh, and also your local ISSA. And find in your, uh, in your organization, if there are security awareness training, do it. Try to connect, even reach out to your own security departments. Um, I promise you that security departments are often seen as the ugly stepchild or, or seen as the, you know, the people that are the obstacle, not the solution in most places. <laughs> and uh, to be contacted and asked, you know, to just have a chat. Um, I think, and to even be, you know, told they're appreciated, you know, from that space. The one piece that I had done multiple times is asking for mentors, but not for all of it, but for some components of things. Um, I, I saw something um, somewhere else that we see leaders at their top of their game. Um, try to find mentors that are willing to help you and and help you in, in your growth. Um, I've also been reading a lot about sponsors. Um, Renee, I'll look to you to, to speak to that, but I've, I've really been leaning on, you know, throughout my career, different mentors for yeah. different parts of my life, so. Absolutely, and the mentorship part is so key. And I think, and, I, and I've been kind of drilling this in more recently too, that, um, 
we can have mentors that are just, you know, six months ahead of us. It doesn't mean to be, you know, somebody that's all the way at the top. You know, we, we want to look at parallel. We want to look, uh, I read something the other day that said we have so, we spend so much time looking up and we don't spend enough time looking across. And so you could be helping me in a space that I don't know, not because you're the CISO, because you, but because you have the expertise in that, in this space, or you just know more than me. You know, like I'm the, I'm the, I'm the novice. Like I would be one, I would want to learn from you. If I want to learn OSIN, if I want to learn whatever it is that you've done and I see that you're the person out there doing it and it doesn't have to be some person that's all the way at the top of the food chain in a company um, or an organization or what have you. So I just want to double down on that. And then from a sponsor perspective, those are the people that can go in the, that those are the people at the top. They can go in the room and say, you know, we want JR. You know, and they they fight to get you um, into the various positions. So, and I'm with you when it comes to mentors. I got one for everything, and they all are. You know, they got. I have three children. I need mentors of moms with three and four, three plus children. You know, um, so I I 100% agree that it doesn't. It's definitely should be one. It should be multiple people. Um, and should be multiple people, you know, in different walks of life and in different arenas. And then I think that takes the pressure off of having like one mentor, like saying, oh, you're my mentor and I'm coming to you for everything um, and really diversifying that. So I think you make such valid points. So I'm going to make, uh, put up a couple more comments and then we're going to wrap. So Reginald says, hashtag field team go. So right. it's already catching on. It's already catching on. Patrick. There, this is what you did. Um, Onye says, good job, Renee and company for all the good work. Thank you. Danielle says, I'm late. Good morning. Danielle, where were you, my friend? She's always here. I love Danielle. Um, Patrick says, JR, can you reach out to me? I think you have a top secret clearance on your profile. <laughs> Hard to get in there. <laughs> so, so, um, and then Reginald, uh, I want to learn. JR has so much insight. So JR, it looks like you're going to be teaching the class soon, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> People want to inquiring minds want to know. So this was exciting. I am so so happy you were here to join us to share just so much insight. I mean, you're a wealth of knowledge and information. Um, so definitely gonna have you back. It's clear. People want to learn more and hear more about what you do and and probably dig in a little deeper. So thank you so so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And thank you, everybody. Patrick, I will reach out to you. <laughs> Patrick, Patrick has a friend for life. Um, and we, um, you know, I thank you all. You know this. I, I, I just love the engagement. And that's what makes this so exciting. So the breaking into cybersecurity, we started it with engagement out of the gates. But now, like, you know, since we can do LinkedIn Lives, there's so much engagement. And, and we love it. I love it. I love doing these. So daily for the month of October. I think we are on day, I'm starting to lose my days. I think I'm t- this is day 21. <laughs> so 10 more days of daily uh, guests and insights on breaking into cyber security. So we will see you tomorrow. Bye everybody. And thank you again, JR. Bye.